You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources Good. or to donate uh, to this ministry, folks, let me please just check share out Valleydale.org. If you've got your copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it uh, to the end of Exodus chapter 4. And uh, we've been in Exodus now for just a few months uh, looking at the life of Moses. Let me tell you what's coming up. On the 22nd, two Sundays from today, we're going to burn the note. Um, the last note on this church building, we're going to burn it. Um, the, the, the fact of the matter is we've had the money for a year. <laughs> um, we've not burned it, we, but we've paid no interest for the last year. In fact, the bank has paid us about $90 a month to keep the money there. I just thought that was a good deal. I thought we should do it in, you know, just on into until Jesus calls us out of here. But it's best to pay it off, be done with it. We're going to do that. And on that Sunday, I've invited Dr. Dees to come back and preach. So he'll be back here with us. Uh, every church I've ever pastored, I've always had the former pastor back. And um, I've been here now four and a half years. It's time to have him back. want him to be a part of that celebration. Uh, he loves this church and uh, this congregation very much, and I know you love and appreciate him very much as well. So he'll be here on the 22nd, and we're going to burn that note. Now, the uh, other thing is this. Keep me in prayer. Uh, I, I fly out tonight. I lecture all day tomorrow, all day Tuesday, and all day Wednesday at Southwestern Seminary on New Testament preaching, and I'm trying to get a flight back in here Wednesday night, but I have one for Thursday morning, but I want to come back Wednesday night. Um, so just, you know, how to pray for me. Um, they keep moving flights. Just, you, you never know from day to day if you, what, what's going to happen. But anyway, uh, you've got your copy of God's word. We're there. And for this year, our theme for this year, if you'll let me just kind of introduce it this way, is one of our measures. Now we have uh, values as a congregation and our values are this, truth with transformation. That's the Word of God. We're encouraging you every day to be in the Word of God. We have relationships with authenticity, generosity with joy, evangelism with urgency, and prayer with persistence. Now, with those values, we've got measures for each one. And here are our measures. Am I spending time with God daily? Am I in that Word? Am, am I in the truth of God's word. Number two, am I living what I'm learning? Do, do I live out what God is teaching me through his word? Now, let me just stop with that because that's our theme for this year. And that's really what God is doing with Moses and what you see with Moses. As you get out of the fourth chapter into the fifth chapter, God is teaching Moses how to live out uh, what he's learning from God. So there... In, in, in that passage, beginning in chapter 4 of Exodus, it, you begin to see that Moses is learning several things. Number one, he's learning about the sovereignty of God. You can back up to the third chapter where he sees the sovereignty of God in that burning bush. And you say, well, what is he sovereign over? Well, it's obvious in the burning bush, he's sovereign over nature. You got a bush burning, but it is never consumed. It doesn't burn up. And out of the bush, out of that flame, comes the voice of God or the angel of the Lord, as we are told. Um, you have uh, God as sovereign over all of nature. 
then he's going to learn that God is sovereign over all humanity as well. Do you remember? He comes to the Lord and he says, listen, God, when God calls him to go to Pharaoh, he said, I can't do that. I've got a deficiency in my tongue. I've got a deficiency in my speech. I, I, can't, I can't do that. It's impossible. And God looks at him and he says, hey, listen, who, who made your mouth? I made your mouth. I made you just like you're supposed to be. Uh, you're exactly what uh, uh, you're supposed to be and you think it's a deficiency. It is something I will use to bring glory to myself. Now, let me just say something because I, I, I have people ask me this from time to time. I really could do a sermon on this. I have a lot of people ask me, well, what about we, we have a child or I have a, a, a brother or I have a sister uh, who has uh, uh, some kind of uh, physical or mental uh, lack or a need. They are challenged in some kind of way. Did God make them that way? Nope. Uh, life is a part of the biological process. Can God intervene? Yes. Often does, does God often do that? No, not all the time. Uh, but let me assure you of this. Everyone who has breath and life is a child of God. And there is no deficiency. You think it's a deficiency. You think there's a lack that, that is there. How do you know that when we get to heaven, you're not going to discover that they gave the purest praise of all to God on this life, in this world? So God is doing something we can't even see. And most likely we will not see until we walk into glory. And when we walk into glory, we will say, ah, that's what God was doing the whole time. So he looks at Moses and he says, that's not a problem for me. That's not an issue for me. You think you've got a deficiency. I'll use that to bring glory to my name. So he sees that God is sovereign, not over, only over nature, but over, you know, life itself, over the difficulties of life itself. And he's going to discover that God is sovereign over the human heart as well. Because he's going to tell Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. And then God's going to come back and tell him, he's not going to do it. He's not going to do what you ask. He's not going to do what I'm sending you to do. And he says, he's not going to do it, and I'm going to harden his heart. Now, let me tell you something, folks. I can't get into all of that. Uh, does God harden hearts? Well, we read right here that he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And then we have to get off into, uh, let me tell you, so much uh, of God is a mystery that I can't answer. Um, but I, I'll tell you this, I think it was already in his heart to harden it. In the heart of Pharaoh to say no to God. It's kind of hard to say yes to God when in your own mind you think you are God. Amen. Amen. Well, he's going to discover what God's going to do, how God's going to deal with Pharaoh, and he's going to see. And by the way, some of you here may be thinking, well, wait, wait a minute, would God harden my heart? Could God, the only response I can give you, let me go over here. This just popped into my peevish little brain. Let me go over here to Hebrews chapter 3, and I want you to listen to the writer of Hebrews. 
Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You say, well, how do I reconcile that? Go work out your own salvation. That's all I can tell you. Well, he sees God's sovereign. God's sovereign over everything. He's sovereign over what we think is a deficiency. He's sovereign over nature. He's sovereign even over the heart of man. Now, the second thing that God is teaching him and that Moses is learning is this, is about the holiness of God. God is a holy God. And Moses figures that out and understands that in chapter 4 when on his way to Egypt, God shows up to kill him. Now, that really ought to get your attention. And and by the way, if you want to listen to that sermon, it's online. You can go listen to it. I've had somebody almost every day since I preached it somewhere write me, uh, I'll listen to that sermon. I can't believe you preached it. Anyway, um, he's on his way there. The funny thing is, God is there to kill him, and Moses and his wife Zephora know exactly why. And so that's why Zephora goes and she circumcises her son, And um, in that, she saves the life of her husband. Would God show up to kill Moses? Well, he did. Would he have done it? I believe he would have. Um, uh, Let me me tell you something. Nobody in this world is indispensable. Uh, I don't think y'all heard that. Did you get that? Nobody is indispensable. If you think you are, go out there to the lake put your leg in, pull it out, and see how big a hole you left. You're not indispensable. God can use, and God does use, a lot of things. And so Zephora was the one who really saved her husband's life by doing what Moses should have done. Now, if there is an application out of that, it is this. Moses was on his way to Egypt like God had commanded him. He was doing what God had said. He was going where God had told him to go, and yet being obedient in one area, he was disobedient in another, you need to understand partial obedience will never excuse you from the obedience to everything God calls you to do. Being partially obedient to God is not enough. Now you say, well, listen, I didn't make that up. That's what you're seeing here. I'm on my way there, Lord. I'm on my way to Egypt to do what you call me. Yes, but you, you've not been obedient in this area over here, and I'm going to take your life. So we need to be obedient to God in everything. And I tell you, part of what God is teaching him is this, is Moses, you'd better learn to make a tough decision. He didn't make that decision because his wife really struggled with this issue of circumcision. We're not given the whole story, uh, but uh, she struggled with that in some kind of way. And Moses did not, he was not obedient to God completely because he was trying to keep peace in the family. And God's trying to teach Moses this. Listen, Moses, there's going to be a time when your whole family turns against you. Not just your wife, but your entire family. Aaron's going to turn against you. Miriam's going to turn against you. The whole nation will turn against you. You're going to have to learn to stand in a lonely place and stand for what is right. Is he living out what he's learning? Is he learning something? God's teaching him here all these things. Now, the third thing that I want you to see is this. He's learned those two. Now he's going to come down to this third thing, and it's this. Can I really trust God? Can God be trusted? Now, on this Sunday of this new year, I want you to understand God 
is always faithful. No matter what we face this coming year, no matter what you face this coming year, you need to understand you can depend on God. God is always faithful. Now, God's going to try to teach us that. He's going to teach us some things along the way. And I've only got two things I want you to see this morning, and I'm sure you believe that. Well, let me, let me begin now here uh, with these two things. Number one, I want you to see that you can see the faithfulness of God when you begin to serve him. Now, up right until this point, everything's been kind of questionable here. Here, here is the wisdom of God in all of this. He's teaching Moses. He's instructing Moses. Will Moses live this out? Yes, he will. He's going to put into practice what he's learning. That is something we've got to do every single day when we're in the Word of God is to put into practice what God is teaching us. And he's teaching Moses right here that you can't, that I'm always faithful to you when you begin to serve me. Now, let's look, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5. And afterward, that is, after all these things had taken place on the way to Egypt, he gets there, Moses and Aaron came, and he said to Pharaoh, well, they get there and they get an audience with Pharaoh, which is an unusual thing. Not everybody came before Pharaoh. Uh, you just could not. He just had his posse most of the time that uh, was around him, his family and his posse there. And uh, that's, only, that's really the only ones that got access to him. And, and uh, here he gets audience with Pharaoh, no doubt because they all remember him. They don't remember him as the guy who killed an Egyptian and who's been a fugitive for 40 years. What they remember is this guy was in line to become Pharaoh himself. He grew up in this very palace. Uh, this was his home. He went to Pharaoh's university. Uh, he learned all of these things that, uh, uh, that would prepare him to be either Pharaoh or next to Pharaoh in this kingdom. And can you imagine, put yourself in Moses' sandals as he walks into that palace for the first time in years and years and years, over 40 years for the first time he walks back into that place. And as he goes in there, he must have remembered, I used to run as a little boy down this corridor right there because it would lead to a little secret room and, and I would go back there and I would play and I would run past all of the carvings, all of the sculptors of these famous uh, pharaohs of the past. I used to play here. I used to run here. I grew up in this place. And he walks in before Pharaoh himself. Ever stop and think about things like that when you come to Scripture? Well, there he is, and he's standing there, and he speaks to Pharaoh, and he says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. Now, he doesn't go in there, he doesn't go in there thinking, I was the one who would have been God here. He goes in there as a representative of the living God, the real God, the true God. And he stands before a man who believes, and all of the people in that kingdom believe he is a God. And he looks at him and he says, I've come, I'm the spokesman for the Lord, the God of Israel. And he says, let my people go that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. Now you say, well, wait a minute, I thought God was going to let them go permanently. He is. 
And this is where you have to stop as you read Scripture and think through what is going on. This is where God is working on a different level that you'll pass over if you're not careful. What is God doing when he says, let the people go three days into the wilderness, not permanently? Well, what God is doing is this. He's going to show everybody how unreasonable Pharaoh is. That's a reasonable request. Hey, can I have three days off? I've got some things I really need to do. There, there's a, that's a reasonable request. Well, sure, if you've got something you've got to do, we can make it three days without you here. That's reasonable. He doesn't go in and say, hey, let the people go permanently. God says, uh, let them go three days in the wilderness to worship me because I want you to see just how unreasonable this guy is going to be. And so Pharaoh responds. Now look at his response. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Listen, I'm God. You come in here talking to me about God. You come in here talking to me about the Lord. I'm God. Who is this Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel grow. Go. What, he, what he's doing is this. He's not only just swiping back away uh, the statement there, the, the, the command from God. He, he just is impertinent in the whole thing. He doesn't just come and say, listen, why don't you explain all this to me? He comes now, and what he's doing is this. He's just saying, absolutely not. I'm God here. Moses, I don't know who this God is that you're talking about. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to Moses and to Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? Now look at what he says to him here. You're Hebrews. You're in here. Get yourself back to work. Get out of my office and get back to work, which is kind of a blessing in disguise because you would have thought he would have immediately dispatched with Moses' head. They'd been hunting for him for 40 years, and here he is. He comes waltzing right back into the, into the palace there in front of Pharaoh, demanding that Pharaoh let the people go. And Pharaoh looks at him and says, you get back to work, you Hebrew this is what you wanted. You chose to go back to the Hebrews. You go back and you get to work with them. Now, what's happening here is this. Just little bit by little bit, you're watching as God is building courage into Moses. Now, I want you to see that. Just little bit by little bit, he's beginning to build courage back into Moses. Courage is comes when you begin to have confidence in God. It's not courage in yourself. It's confidence in God. And that's what God is teaching him. And that's what he's learning. And little bit by little bit, God is teaching him this. The more confidence you have in me, the more courage you will have to live out the mission that I've called you to. Up to this point, Moses had no courage. Remember, 40 years earlier, he ran. He didn't know anything else to do but to run away and to escape it and to get out of there. But now God is building courage in him little bit by little bit. Now, let me show you, let me show you in the text what I'm talking about. Do you remember when he tells God, God, I can't speak? 
God says, that, that's no problem. That's not an issue for me. Your brother can speak pretty well. Now look at what happens. Go back to chapter 4 and look at this. As soon as Zephorah circumcises the son, uh, God, listen, moves and speaks to Aaron, go meet Moses in the wilderness, verse 27, chapter 4. That's what God said he would do. God is fulfilling his promise to Moses. Now, Moses, you get on my mission, and you begin to put your confidence in me. I'll begin to build courage. You can trust I'm going to be faithful to you so that the Lord goes in advance to Aaron and sends Aaron to Moses. Why? Because Moses has no confidence in his ability to speak. So God sends Aaron out there to him. Now look at this. Down in verse 29, chapter 4, Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses when he performed the signs. So Moses, God spoke to Moses. Moses spoke to Aaron. Aaron spoke to the people. So the people believed. Verse 31, you need to see this too and remember it. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed low and they worshiped. So what Moses is learning here is this. I can count on God to be faithful. God said he was going to provide somebody to speak for me. Here's Aaron, nobody better. My older brother, and by the way, Aaron was three years, I think, older than Moses. Here's my older brother. I can count on my older brother. He'll do this for me. But now watch as this goes along. Let me show you something interesting in the text. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh. Look at verse 3 of chapter 5. They said to Pharaoh, they said the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now Aaron's speaking and Moses is kind of chiming in just a little bit here. You're going to walk through this until you get all the way over here. Look at chapter 7, verse 1 and verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, see, I make you as a God to Pharaoh. Your brother Aaron, Aaron shall be your prophet. You'll speak all that I commanded you and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that's what's taking place. That's what's happening. That's what God promised he would do. But now look over in chapter 8 and look down to verse 9 where you see Moses said to Pharaoh, Lord have mercy. He's now speaking himself. He's now talking to Pharaoh himself. Not always through Aaron now, but now he's speaking where did that come from? Confidence in the faithfulness of God builds courage in the Christian life. And that's a good thesis statement right there. Confidence in God will build courage in you to do what God has called you to do. You'll understand, you'll see little by little. Now, let me, let me just tell you something up front, folks. God doesn't open up your heart and just pour all the courage in at one time. He takes you step by step, little bit by little bit. By the way, God does the same thing with wisdom. God doesn't open up your head and pour wisdom in all at one time, though most people think that's the way it happens. It doesn't. It didn't happen that way for Solomon. I don't have time to go through this. I'm, I'm working on a project right now, and I've been studying, I've been looking at this for this past week, writing this sermon and writing a message for that. And I'm, I'm, I'm to do a six-part series on the wisdom of God. 
uh, uh, that will be sent out to churches across the country. And so I'm dealing with this whole issue of wisdom, godly wisdom. How does it come? It doesn't come all at one time. Go to Luke chapter 2, and in Luke chapter 2, it says two things about Jesus at 12 years of age. It says that he was filled with wisdom. That is an imperfect tense. It means that he had been being filled, been being filled, been being filled, been being filled. And then you come to verse 52 in Luke chapter 2, and it says this, that he grew in wisdom, imperfect tense. He was growing and growing and growing and growing. You say, wait a minute, I thought he was God. He is. Folks, I can't get into the hypostatic union between the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you that Jesus grew as a boy, as a young man, in the wisdom of God. It didn't happen all at one time. It comes. Wisdom, courage comes in that way. You know, I, I, I just saw a little baby, Ezekiel. Ezekiel. And um, I prayed with this couple through that. A lot, of, a lot of ladies will come to Debbie from time to time and say, I'm, I'm about to have my first child. I don't know what to do. And I said, hey, listen, they come with instructions. Don't worry about that. Instructions will come. When, when the baby's born, instructions will be there. Um, and they wonder, what do I do? How do I know? When is the baby going to, is he hungry? Is he always upset? Is he, what cry? And Debbie, you know, will share with him, you'll discover what cry means what. And, you know, all these things, you'll know. You, it just, you just know. Uh, God does something in a woman's mind and soul, and sh- they just know how to care for a baby. Look, we're all here. Uh, we survived it. Um, and so, you know, it's, courage is the same kind of way. It's a little step by little step. You get that little baby home, and that baby starts screaming. What do you do? You run in there, grab that baby, pick it up. By the second one, you learn, just let it lie there and scream. It'll be all right. It'll be Okay. By the, by the third, fourth, fifth one, man, you just, you don't even hear it at that point in time. But you discover little bit by little bit by little bit. That's the way God gives you courage. Some of you are, need the courage of God just to, to trust him in the things of life, just to trust him financially, just to trust him maritally in your marriage. Uh, we've run up on a rocky place. Hey, listen, all of everybody in here, marriage run up on a rocky place. It, you know, we we've got a struggle in at work. All of us here have had struggles at work. You, you can make it. You can do it, and you will gain courage to face life the more you place your confidence in God. That's what Moses is doing. That's this whole process here with Moses. He is living out what he's learning little bit by little bit. That's my prayer for us this coming year. We begin to learn to step out in faith, confident, trusting, faith in God. And as we do that, we gain courage to engage in life. Some of you need to do that. Some of you need to do that with missions this coming year. In uh, just a month or so, we're going to have, two, a month and I, I don't know, we're going to have Missions Week here. And uh, in that week, you need to begin to plan and say, I'm going to, listen, I, I want to do that. I've always wanted to do that. Make plans now for one of you in your family to go on a mission trip. Just one of you. Just test God with it. See if God will provide it. See if God will bring it about. See if uh, God will use you on a mission field. Just do that. Get a five-year plan and then come back and in two more years, in that third year, do this. Two of you go. 
and then two more years, give it. In the fifth year, take your kids with you to the mission field. And watch how you'll gain confidence in God and courage to go and share the gospel. Live out what you're learning. If you're learning anything, and I pray that you are, live it out. Learn that God can be trusted. You'll see his faithfulness when you surrender yourself to begin to do ministry. Now, let me give you the second thing. This is only my second point, the only, one, the only other one I've got, and it's this. You're going to struggle along the way. There's going to be struggle. You'll see the faithfulness of God when your serving becomes a struggle. You say, well, wait a minute, serving God becomes a struggle? You better believe it will. It's, I would say it's almost intentional that in serving God, you're going to face struggle in doing that. Now, listen, because Moses does. Pick it up now back in chapter 5, verse 4. And the king of Egypt said to, to Moses and Aaron, why don't you draw the people away from their work? You get back to your labors. You go back to work. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now many, and you would have them cease their labors. So the same day, now notice this, the exact same day that Moses and Aaron show up there and ask Pharaoh to let the people go for three days to worship God in the wilderness, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen saying, you are no longer to give people straw to make bricks as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they were making previously, you shall impose on them. You're not to reduce any of it because they are lazy. Therefore, they cry out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men and let them work at it so that they will pay no attention to false words. Now, do you get all that is being said? Pharaoh gets Moses and Aaron out of there and he turns to his men and he says, you, you get me all of the supervisors of the Hebrews in here. They all come in. He says, you're no longer to provide straw. You make them get up earlier in the morning, get out in the field and get straw. Straw would bind that mud together, kind of like rebar in concrete. It would bind it together. It would hold it together. He says, you tell them, we're not going to go get the straw for you anymore. You've got to go get your own straw, and you're going to make the exact same number of bricks every single day. You know, if I had an organ up here, I'd go, dun, 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 dun. You know, it's just like bad news. What in the world are you talking about? Life is going to get tough. And he says, let the men do it. Put it on the backs of the men so that the men will not listen to this crazy nonsense of Moses and Aaron. Make life tough. Make it a struggle. Make it hard on them so that they're not going to listen to all of this any longer. Well, look at what happens in the whole story. What's going to happen is this. The foremen then go, verse 15, to the sons of Israel. And they came and they cried out to Pharaoh saying, why do you deal with us like this? All of these Hebrews that had foreman positions now, they said, we've got to talk to, we've got to, talk to Pharaoh. We can't do this. This is humanly impossible. 
we're working day and night now as it is. We can't do anymore. So they go to Pharaoh and they said, there is no straw given to your servants. Yet they keep saying to us, make bricks and behold, your servants are being beaten, but it is your own fault, but it is the fault of your own people. But he said, you're lazy. You're very lazy. Pharaoh looks back at him and said, you bunch of lazy, no goods. Let us go and worship. That's what you say, sacrifice to our God. So go now and work for no straw will be given you, yet you must deliver the same quota of bricks. And the foreman of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble because they were told, you must not reduce your daily amount of bricks. And when they left Pharaoh's presence, guess where did they go? Pastor's office. They lay in wait. Look at this. They go out to meet Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for them. Who's waiting for him to show up? It's a struggle now. And they come and they said to him, verse 21, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You've made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. He says, you, you've, you've written our death warrant out, Moses. You're going in there and telling Pharaoh to let us go and worship the Lord. This is how we are repaid. Uh, we're going to die doing this. Can't do it. Humanly impossible. Now watch this. Verse 22. You got your Bibles open? Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? I didn't want to do this. I told you to begin with, I did not want to do this. You insisted. You kept pushing me to do this. I did what I knew this was going to be the outcome. Kid's mind must have flashed back 40 years when he killed that Egyptian and the Egyptians turned on him and then the Hebrews turned on him. They both turned on him again. The Egyptians have turned on him. Now the Hebrews turn on him again. He's rejected by the Egyptians. He's rejected by the Hebrews. And verse 23 says, Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, ever since I went to witness, ever since I knocked on a door to share the God, he has done harm to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. What do you say to God when you serve him and everything comes off the track? What, what, do you, what do you say to God when you serve God and everything becomes a struggle? Everything gets difficult. Things get worse. Things don't get better. What do you do? I can tell you the natural thing to do is what I see so many Christians do. They just get out of church and they just run back to what they used to do. Let me just get out of here, give it up, you know. I'm, I'm going to run away, change church. I'm going to quit church. I'm going to ignore church. I'm just going to get out of this. We go back to doing what we used to do. We go back to doing oftentimes what we prayed for God to get us out of. Why? Because that's the natural thing. That's the easiest road there. We always will take the road of least resistance. And so we get out and we run away and we think, I can go, I can hide, I can, I can go back out to the wilderness. I, I can, 
I can become nobody again. Nobody will know me. Get to the place where nobody can see me or find me or anything like that. And in the words of that great evangelist, you know, Dr. Phil, how has that done for you? How's, how's that been good for you? It's like the scripture talks about, and this is an unpleasant thought, about a dog returning to his body. It's worse the next time. It's like the guy who cleans his house full of demons and then he lets them back in and it's worse the next time. Don't go back to what you're doing. Don't run when life becomes a struggle, when you're in ministry of some kind that God has called you to. Don't give up. Just know it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. There'll be stress in it all. Now you say, well, what do we do? I'm going to give you four quick things, and then I'm going to tell you a fast story, and then I'm going to be done. What do we do? Number one, turn to God. You notice that in chapter 5? Do you remember at the end of chapter 4 it said the people believed and when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed low and they worshiped. But when things got worse, when there was a struggle there, what did they do? They turned to Pharaoh. Who did Moses turn to? He turned to God. You said, but yeah, look, he's complaining to God. Let me tell you something. You can go to God as his child and complain to him because all of your troubles together don't amount to more than a gnat on an elephant's behind. It's nothing to the Lord. All of the trouble and the stress and the strife and all the issues that you have in life, God can handle it. God will handle it. Don't turn to whatever it is. Turn to the Lord. Even if you've got to go and give him a complaint. Good Lord, look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter, I think it's Jeremiah chapter 19 or either 29. Go look at him when he complains to the Lord. He just looks at the Lord and he says, I think I'm going to kill myself. He was suicidal. He said, well, what's the way out of that? At the end of that whole line of him being suicidal, the fact of the matter is he's still talking to God. Just keep talking to the Lord. Now, I'm going to give you only one other thing with about five points. The other thing is this. Just wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord, that's what Moses is going to do. He's not only going to turn to the Lord, but he's going to wait on the Lord because he's understanding God is teaching me something here. What is God teaching us when we wait on him? Number one, that God will not desert you. God will not desert you. Just because you have a struggle in your life does not mean God has deserted you. That is exactly what Satan wants you to think. I don't hear him. I don't see him. I can't sense that he's here. It doesn't make any difference. Let me tell you something. This tells you that he's here. He's given you his word just as he gave it to Moses. So what you do is this. You just learn that God has not deserted you. Number two, in a struggle, you learn this is for my growth. You can't grow without struggle. It's impossible for you to grow spiritually without a struggle. So you need to expect every struggle that comes along in life, God is attempting. You can go up here to this weight room that's right, in, it's right here. 
up there. You go up here this week and you take just an, a dumbbell that weighs one pound and you lift that for the week and see how much stronger you get. You won't. Now, you take one with about 50 pounds and start lifting it this week, and at the end of the week, you'll be sore, but you'll discover you're going to be able to lift about 60 next week or 65. Why? Because there's resistance there, Resi struggle there to lift that, to get it up. Struggle in your spiritual life grows you. Number three, it makes you bold. You see the boldness now of Moses coming through all of this. He's going to become a man who is able to stand against everybody else but stand for the Lord. When he comes down off of that mountain and he sees them worshiping at that golden calf that his brother Aaron made, he's going to walk up there and say, what's going on here? He said, I don't, I don't know. He said, I just took gold, threw it in the fire, and the thing jumped out. So now he's an idol worshiper and an idol maker, and he's going to add liar to the top of it. What is Moses going to do? The whole nation is there. Even his brother's lost his mind. He's going to strap on his sword, and he's going to say, everybody who's on the Lord's side, get over here. And you know who comes? The tribe of Levi. That's why they're a priest. The tribe of Levi comes over, and he says, okay, boys, now we'll go through here, and we'll just wipe them out. That's boldness, to be able to stand against a whole, against everybody else, to stand for what is right. Listen, he's learning that, and now he's going to live it out. And the fourth thing is this. He's going to come to the place where he is going to learn contentment in the midst of struggle. The whole of this wandering through the wilderness is going to be one struggle after another. In fact, that's going to become the pattern of Israel. They're going to... They're going to they're going to struggle with this all along. They're going to reject the prophet. They're going to reject the word of God. Then they're going to reject God himself and turn to idols. And then they eventually are just going to be out there going. They do that all the way down to the New Testament. When God sends his son, they're going to turn against the word. They're going to turn against the living word. And they're going to put him on a cross and Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, is going to ask him, which one of the prophets did your fathers not kill? They did them all in. You never would listen to the prophet. You never would listen to the word. You turned your back on the word of God. You turned your back on God. And here's Moses, and Moses is learning this. I have to be content in the midst of struggle because life is going to be a struggle. But struggles don't have to take away my contentment in God. He said, where do you get that from? Where, where do you get that kind of, I don't know what you would call it, not inspiration, but where do you get that kind of confidence to say that even in a moment of struggle, I am content in God because I can trust him. I get it from the Lord. Was reading an article on Lewis and Clark. If you want to read a good book on Lewis and Clark, get David McCullough's book uh, on, uh, on Lewis and Clark. In 1803, we bought from Napoleon what we call the Louisiana Purchase. For We paid $10 million for the city of New Orleans. 
if somebody offered the United States 10 million for it now, we probably would do well to sell it. But, and then 5 million more for all the rest of that purchase. 10 million for the city, $5 million more for everything else. Well, uh, Jefferson wanted the whole place. He wanted it mapped out. He wanted uh, somebody to find a path out to the Pacific. He wanted a, a, a route for commerce is what he wanted. He was thinking commerce for the country. And so he gets Lewis and Clark. They were both soldiers. He knew them as soldiers. He knew them as um, uh, having led expeditions before, that they were great men out in the wilderness. And uh, so he sends them. They start in St. Louis and they get all the way to the Pacific coast, and they map the whole thing. And the amazing thing is this, is how accurate that map is. Now, what they had to do is they had to constantly take longitude and latitude measurements to know exactly where they were. Now, that's easy on the sea. If you're out there on the sea, you can always see the horizon and you can do it that way. But when you're on land, you may be in a depression. You may have a forest in front of you. You may have the Rocky Mountains in front of you. You may be down in a riverbed somewhere, and you can't see the horizon. So what do you do? They had a, I don't know exactly how these things work, but they're fascinating. They had what they called a sexton. And they took that sexton that's used on a ship, but it's easy. You can see the horizon. You can see the sun. But they took that, and what they did was they made what they call a false horizon. They took a brass tray. They put mica in the bottom of it, you know, that rock that shines. They put a layer of mica. They poured water on it, and they set it there. And with that sexton, they would point to the sun, look down to the shadow, double that, and it would give you the horizon. Do you know the maps that that guy made on that are within fractions of being exactly right in the early 1800s? Now, what were they dependent on? Something that was out of this world called the sun and the stars. And if you want to live this coming year in wisdom, and encourage, you're going to have to trust something other than what's in this life. You're going to have to put your trust in something that is out of this world, that broke into this world to give you life. Let's stand and pray about that. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.